again and, and welcome to part two of a special edition of Trinity College Dublin Talks about the topic of how to live longer and enjoy a better quality of life. Just as with part one, I'm joined by Professor Roseanne Kenny, who's just published a book called Age Proof, The Science of Living a Longer and Healthier Life. Roseanne has used uh, incredible research from, from Trinity, known as TILDA, which followed 9,000 adults from the age of 50 upwards to understand how we can have, a, I suppose, a better life and a longer life. In the first episode, we talked about the importance of diet, uh, the importance of reducing stress, the importance of attitude, the importance of laughter, and we touched on, on the importance of, of exercise. In, in this episode, we're going to talk about the importance of um, health, uh, I mean, exercise and, and sleep, especially, and also sex and other important kind of areas around exercise. So let's let's jump straight in. So uh, Roseanne, in, in your book, you really emphasize the importance of sleep, and I hadn't quite taken in just how, how vital it is. Let's, let's talk in a minute about what it does for you and how it tackles aging, but, but what goes on when we sleep? I, I think an important and interesting statistic, which kind of will, will help in, in that response with respect to this is that we spend on average 26 and a half years of our lives asleep or at least in bed and because some people uh, can go to sleep very easily it's a matter of putting a pillow under their heads and falling asleep but others experience problems with with sleeping it's important because we now know that our brains are incredibly dynamic at night up until the 1920s Sciences, scientists regarded sleep um, as an inactive brain state and that as night fell and the sensory inputs from the environment diminished, so too did brain activity. But in fact, uh, once we started putting uh, electricity monitoring sensors on the brain, EEG, electroencephalograms, it became clear that sleep was in fact very dynamic and we never switch off. And sleep goes through repeated active stages throughout the night, which are very important for clearing the brain cells and brain tissues of toxins that might have accumulated during the day, as well as filing our memories that we've accrued that day into long, longer term memory storage. So it's incredibly important and a very active stage of of, of of physical activity, if you like. So it's this kind of deceptive, deceptive thing, I suppose, and it is really thinking about we spend 20 plus years doing and most of us don't really give it much thought. But what happens when we don't have enough sleep? I mean, it, it affects our immunity system, doesn't it? We, 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 and is that why we get we get older if we if we sleep badly or are there other reasons as well? So as we age, sleep does uh, change. We sleep, our, our sleep duration is less. We're more inclined to wake during the night. And there are a number of reasons for that. People have to use the loo more um, as they get older uh, during the night. They appear to be what's called lighter sleepers. And I'll go into that in a moment. Um, and uh, uh, we, 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 we kind of change our, our sleep phenotype. So um, as, as throughout the age, the life course, there are different uh, phenotypes. You'll be very familiar with the, the lark and owl, the early morning 
riser. That's what I mean by that. And the owl is the, the sort of late day, light, late night person. Um, and there are there are different subgroups within that, uh, within those two subtypes uh, called dolphins and lions and bears. So the dolphins struggle to fall asleep, sleep for about six hours, wake up unrefreshed and tired and may experience anxiety and irritability. They're generally perfectionists in terms of personality type. Um, and, and again, the listeners will will maybe identify with that. Whereas lions, and this is the one we want, we all want to be, are uh, have a medium sleep drive. They wake up early. They have lots of energy, and they don't have much energy at bedtime. They're generally overachievers and go getters and very health conscious and eat well, etc. Then bears are what most of us are. You know, they fall into a deep sleep rise with the sun, strive to be healthy. They're team players and hardworking um, and easy to talk to and, you know, good people skills. And most of us fall into that general category. And then the wolves are the ones that you really don't want to be or you should, you should be aware of if you're this phenotype. And that's where you wake in a haze and you're groggy in the morning and the, the typical societal clocks of, you know, starting work at nine or eight or whatever and finishing at five just don't suit you. You, you miss breakfast because you just don't you miss breakfast. You come alive, though, after dark. And they're generally very creative, actually, more creative than any of the other phenotypes. They can be pessimistic, pessimistic though, and moody. Um, and they're also, and this is the important bit, more likely to be addicted. So as we get older, we're more likely to become dolphins, where we struggle to fall asleep and waken early and sleep just for six hours. And, and that's just the way the aging process influences brain activity with respect to sleep. I, I've always been a little bit pessimistic. I've always assumed one is either a, a morning person or a, you know, a, a lark or an owl. Uh, but, but you don't really agree with that, do you? you, you a, you have more, more types. But do you think one can one can change one's type? I mean, as you say, with age, one it's often changed for you. But but if so one it's, is, it's, it's hard also. to change, but it's not impossible. Right. And um, and there and people have changed and you change very gradually by changing the time you go say if you're a wolf because that's the phenotype that's more inclined to excessive eating and excesses of everything etc and and finds it very hard to stick with the rigid timetable that society imposes on us you you can change by changing the time you go to bed and the time you get up in the morning by 15 minutes you know in very clear 15 minute window blocks over a number of months uh, if, if not a year you have to be rigorous about it though you can never break that you can't you shouldn't break that cycle it makes it much harder to get back on the bandwagon again and and um also to, to cut back on excessive eating and less exercise all of which accompany the wolf's personality or phenotype uh, but you can change you can change and the only reason to change there's no reason to change except if you're a wolf to know that you have to be really cautious about your health, health behaviors etc except that it makes it harder to work you know office hours if you're a wolf because that's what society expects of us it makes it harder to go to school even mm. you, you, you have 
have quite a lot of tips on how to, to improve um, sleep. And I'm glad to say that they're not the usual slightly platitudinous tips like, you know, that kind of thing. But you, you don't have phones in the bed. The obvious stuff, you, 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 for instance, you're, you're quite in favour of naps, aren't you? So there's good evidence that a nap is good for the system, provided it's not excessive. So what's excessive? In general, more than 90 minutes in an after, in, in afternoon nap is too much. But you can, some people, you can take 10 minute, 20 minute naps. They're fine for the system. They're actually, they're, they're probably very beneficial and, and also a de-stressing ritual. Um, then there, you, uh, have, you have quite firm views on food as well. You know, you, you say stay away from things like old aged cheese and bacon and pastorami but do eat things like if you if you must almonds or turkey or kiwi what, porridge even what, why, why is that so why, why we've got lists of because because the, the foods that actually um exacerbate um bad sleep you generally have something in them tyramine in general which which is a stimulant which keeps us which keeps us awake um, coffee is really a well-known, caffeine is, is a well-known stimulant. Um, foods that have tyramine are Chianti wines, for example, and um, blue cheeses, and as you've rightly cited, spiced meats, etc. Foods that um, enhance sleep are generally foods that have, like, believe it or not, there was a study on salmon, um, where men took salmon three times a week at night and significantly improved their sleeping as a result. And then other things like, you'll, you'll be well aware of this, um, chamomile tea. Mm. Uh, foods such as, yeah, almonds, etc. They contain um, hormones or substances or proteins which enhance the sleep cycle. So there's a whole list of things which are beneficial to sleep and a whole list of things which actually exacerbate sleep. Beer can interfere with sleep. Yeah. Well, one thing that, that surprised me, because uh, I thought it was a gimmick, but, but you know, it's not because you recommend it, is, is using um, sound stimulation. Um, but using white noise or, or even pink noise, which I've never yeah. heard of. Yeah, no, no, that's an evolving um, area of research and it's not definitive as yet, but the science is quite strong to show that um, sound stimulation does actually impact beneficially on the non-REM cycle of sleep. So we have two cycles and they're repeated throughout the night over about 90 minute intervals. REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep, which is the one in which we dream, and non-REM sleep. And non-REM sleep has three stages and one and two and then three and then three is the deepest uh, uh, sleep so so anything which enhances non-REM sleep is good because that's the sleep stage where we're getting rid most of toxins from cells and regenerating if you like brain cells and memory storage etc so it has been shown that pink noise and white noise actually can slow down the waves, which is what happens during non-REM sleep, and make the waves not just slower, but more exaggerated. And that's beneficial to the processes that are involved in uh, regenerating cells during sleep.
There are other tools which are recommended. Um, again, they're headbands, um, which, which actually measure the sleep waves and provide a stimulus at a certain time during the wave to slow the wave down. They have not as yet been fully evaluated. And although they're commercially available, I when I went when I looked into the evidence, I didn't think it was strong enough to make that recommendation. But you would recommend that people who are having problems sleeping look into and a device that generates white noise and, and pink noise, would you? I, 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 the, the white noise and pink noise is available on your phone. On your phone, it's yeah, massive. you can listen to it now, and it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for some. The other thing I recommend is making going to bed a ritual. Yeah. So first of all, turn off blue light. And I've shown an experiment, it's an experiment on young people, where um, blue light, uh, a different blue light exposures were tested uh, and and uh, for the duration of blue light versus their impact on sleep duration and the sort of blue lights were ones we're most familiar with console games or pc games or online chat emails etc or other pc use and they showed that the worst if you like exposure for reducing sleep duration was email and next was online chat and then after that, PC and console games were pretty much the same. But, you know, sleep duration could be reduced by about two hours for more than four hours exposure. That's, that's a lot. So and, and, and we're all actually exposed, particularly now, to more than four hours a day exposure. So the recommendation is turn blue light off for about an hour before you go to bed. Prepare something that will enhance sleep. Chamomile tea is an easy one, but there, I've given a list of a, a number of others. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe have a hot bath, do something that's really relaxing and definitely try to do five minutes of meditation. Just to really downtime. Make sure your room is dark, pitch black, because we, we, we function with the light, dark cycles. That's how our, our super chiasmic nucleus in the brain actually controls the circadian rhythms of every cell in the body. So it responds to light and darkness. It's the switch, if you like, that comes alive when we wake up in the morning in response to light. So make sure the room is dark, etc. Those and your bed comfortable and your pajamas comfortable if you wear pajamas, whatever. Um, but just make sure that you're, you, you have a ritual. So when you're when you're going to bed, it's it's you you clearly discriminate between daily activities and now nocturnal. So there's one one activity I suppose that, that you also recommend or the research recommends uh, to the space sleep and that's sex. Uh, and it's kind of interesting in in the research. There's a lot of uh, evidence that people as they age uh, continue to have sex quite late into life, perhaps later than many younger listeners might think, and also that it has a, a kind of a dual benefit. It has a, a physical benefit. It is obviously a physical activity, it, a good substitute for conventional exercise, but also that it has a kind of a, a neurological benefit, that it, it's very good for the brain. Let's, uh, let's talk first of all about how often older people are having sex. What, what's the evidence there, Roseanne? Well, we've asked this question in, in Tilda, and 80% of couples with an average age of 64 consider sex to be important. And 60% are sexually active at least 
uh, weekly or twice a month. Um, and recent study, recent research from the equivalent study in England, ELSA, showed very similar results. And we've also shown in Tilda that older adults uh, enjoy life more when they're sexually active. And those that experience a decline in sexual activity report uh, poorer overall well-being than those who maintain levels of sexual desire, activity and function. Uh, I mean, is it that people who are ill are having less sex or people who have less sex become ill? What, what, what do you think? Well, there are a number of reasons why um, sexual activity would decline. It may be that uh, your relationship isn't very good or you don't have a relationship or it can be physical reasons. And for women, um, mucosal surfaces become more dry, particularly the vagina and vaginal air and, and vulval areas. Um, for men, um, erectile dysfunction, which can occur at any age and does in a significant proportion of men, it becomes more common as people get older. Both of these can be dealt with through therapies and interventions. Um, and that is one reason. And, and then people themselves are very loath to speak about sex with general practitioners, etc. So um, there are the reasons why sexual activity declines, but there's no reason, there's absolutely no reason why, why it should. It can be dealt with and it is, in, it is important and it's important for our brains. In, in a study of about 7,000 people aged between 50 and 90 who are asked you know, questions about sexual activities in addition to uh, completing tests on, on mental ability, um, it was shown that memory particularly memory, but other brain capacities were much better in the sexually active persons. And oxytocin is the cuddle hormone. So when we're close to someone, when we cuddle someone, we release oxytocin. It's a neurotransmitter that's important for um, enhancing uh, messages between, between brain cells. And oxytocin increases substantially when we uh, are sexually active, even when we even, even when we hug a person, they, they increase, and it's it's very good for again for brain function, but particularly for memory. And memory is the major issue that people get concerned about as they get older. There's, if I could just add, there's there's lovely work from a Californian epidemiologist called Elizabeth Barrett Connor, who unfortunately uh, died in the last uh, number of years. But her, her group showed that during menopause, women experience an increase in sexual desire, followed by a decline uh, thereafter in, in responsibility. But but sexuality does did not disappear, and that was so even for those in her co cohort who were 80 and 90 plus. So now that was in a Californian uh, study, and, uh, and they were um, well-educated upper middle class women. And um, but you know, nonetheless, nonetheless um, most were able to become aroused and maintain lubrication and achieve orgasm during sex you know, after, even after 80. And even, and this is a nice flip side to this also, a number of the women who weren't sexually active still expressed satisfaction with their lives, indicating the role of intimacy and fondling in, in sexual satisfaction. Last question on this 
area. It's interesting that you you, you referenced that there were Californians and that there were others and so on. Is, is there evidence that, that certain types of people uh, have a less good sex life as they as they age? Is there kind of uh, kind of things that one can can alter in middle age or when one's younger to ensure that one does have a good sex life in old age? The, the, the strongest determinant of a good sex life in old age is the quality of the relationship. Right. Get on with. <laughs> so you have to you have to culture your relationship. Um, that's the most important thing. Yeah, which really is a key a key kind of message and finding from the book. And we'll come now to the to finally to perhaps the last and and kind of I think I've left it to last because it's an overarching theme. And that is that um, one needs a purpose in life and that, that having a purpose uh, basically increases the quality of your life, increases your health, increases your mental capacity. But it can sound a bit daunting, doesn't it? Because uh, I know many people listening to this probably will think, I don't really have a purpose. Or what is a purpose? I mean, how would you, what kind of purposes people typically have? that are kind of conducive to a long and healthy life? I guess the, the first thing to say is, what, you know, what your question about what is a purpose is a good question. And it's kind of defined as, as a psychological strength which shares many biological benefits actually with, with laughter. Um, and it, it, one, of the, one of the first um, psychiatrists to really bring purpose to the fore was Viktor Frankl. Mm. Who, who spent three years as a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp. And he published a very successful book called Man's Search for Meaning, which has actually you know, been translated into many languages and sold many millions of copies. He, he died in his early 90s, not so long ago. And he, he described prisoners who adopted an approach of having a, a purpose were better able to withstand severe stress and the awful circumstances than those who didn't. Now, it's hard to say, well, what do I mean by having a purpose? But it's, it's, kind, of, um, it's kind of being in the moment and um, feeling, no matter what your circumstance, that there's a meaning in your life, identifying a meaning for your life at every moment. That's, that's really what, what his, his, the tenant of his book was about. Um, and, and I suppose to be clear here, you know, two people could be engaged in an identical activity, uh, let's say, empty bins every morning, and one person might think they're just emptying bins, and the other person might think they're keeping a city healthy and safe by avoiding plagues and rats and so on. So one person has a purpose and one person doesn't. Is is that right? That's right. It's crafting meaning into whatever you're doing, basically, making it meaningful um, and making it purposeful. Um, uh, and it applies in all ages. But when I'm talking to older persons about this, very often if somebody's retired, they will say, but my life, my working life was everything to me. And now I feel I have no purpose. But but of course you do. When you get up in the morning, you know, if you've got things, to, you, you make a list of things to do and they might appear mundane, but you have to get out of the mindset that they're mundane, you know, and that these these are the things which you give you meaning in your life and that you must even, you know, 
cleaning your kitchen or doing gardening or meeting a friend for coffee or whatever. They're all purposeful actions and therefore you must get into the mindset where you understand that that is what's giving your life meaning. Beyond that, then, I mean, most volunteering in Ireland is done by people who are retired, something like 80% from our TILDA study. And volunteering does give people purpose. And the TILDA research clearly shows that people who volunteer have better well-being, much less likely to be depressed, etc. Because, of course, that's wrapped up in social engagement uh, as well as purpose. So all of that is is good. So it's not just the stories we tell ourselves about the work that we do. It's, it, it is about, in fact, making sure that, that you, you are, in fact, useful to people. Uh, not only that, but, I, you know, we went back to what's, what, are the, what are the common characteristics of centenarians in the blue zones, although the blue zones are so widely scattered. And it, it, all of them share purpose. Older people have even special names for, you know, getting up in the morning with a clear purpose for the day. The Okinawans call it Ikige and the Nicoyans in Costa Rica call it Plan de Vida. So it's, it's that ingrained in their culture that they have sp- terms to reference what is meant by purpose. So is retirement a kind of a, a dangerous moment, people, because... It's very variable. It depends. It depends on someone's choice. I mean, what I, I don't believe in compulsory retirement and it's illegal in the States. It's illegal at any age in the States. Um, that's taken, you know, a couple of decades to evolve there um, in terms of compulsory retirement changed from 65 to 70 and now no age uh, limit. But it, unfortunately, in many European countries, 65, 66 is, is the retirement age. So it depends on 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 your your own expectations and your own wishes. Some people absolutely want to retire. They can't wait. They're generally quite well prepared for retirement and have an awful lot of other things. And you'll meet them and they'll say, gosh, I've never been busier. Mm. And then others, yes, work was their life and they would choose to stay on. And frankly, from an institutional perspective, we lose the wealth of experience and that that cohort bring to an environment. And I've met colleagues in Trinity who have had to retire at 65, 66, and they're not happy. They're, they would much rather be working, particularly teaching or engaging with the uh, community at large. And they believe that gave them and would give them a purpose. Um, now they're generally people who have invested a lifetime in the institution and in education and training, and they miss their contribution, but also they miss there, as they perceive it, standing in society as a consequence of retirement. I think they often miss the camaraderie as well, don't they? Absolutely, the social engagement, because that was their that was their social engagement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we're we're, we're going to wrap up, but the the, the, the last thing uh, I'd like to come back to is is I suppose the body again, and it's 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 exercise. We've we've talked a little bit in the last uh, podcast about exercise. But um, let's just talk about what what kind of exercises are are most practical as as we age uh, in terms of living and and what we can do for our body. Because I I also would like to bring in the importance of cold water, which is something that uh, 
that you you emphasize as being very very important and of course very easy to do isn't it anyone can turn the uh, shower from hot to cold in the morning and anyone can jump into a river or a lake or the sea if they want to uh but what what are what are the good exercises uh, for say people over the age of 60 what should they be doing and what should they perhaps avoid well, well, they, they should certainly be doing aerobic exercise, brisk walking, or if you can do more than that, um, running, rowing, cycling, etc. That, that's very important. Um, it's important for release of uh, chemicals uh, by the brain that um, are key for prevention and treatment of depression, for example, and anxiety like opiates, cannabinoids and endorphins, um, as well as BDNF. Um, and it also exercise it confers, you know, self-esteem and a sense of achievement and being in control and having a purpose. So all of the things we've talked about are integral to um, exercise. And it also adds variety. And you can often do it with friends, particularly fast walking or whatever, or cycling. So, so there's there's a lot of positive benefits um, to exercise as part of the bigger picture that we've discussed with with um, aging. Remarkably, studies have shown that exercise increases the size of the hippocampus in the brain, which is important for memory. Um, it's the seat, actually, of learning and memory in the brain. Um, exercise training reversed age loss, age-related uh, loss of uh, brain cells in another study by, by as much as two years. So in terms of brain function exercise is incredibly important and helps us with cognitive tasks such as planning or carrying out complex tasks and reactions so there's lots of positive brain brain um, um, benefits it you talked about um, um, immunity and and indeed exercise is very good for the immune system and it, just one example of that is influenza vaccines people were randomized to getting an influenza vaccine, but not doing anything particularly different with their exercise programs, whereas the intervention group of uh, participants had actually embarked on three months of vigorous exercise before getting influenza vaccines. And their immune response to the vaccine was significantly better in those who had uh, embarked on an exercise program. That's just one of many studies showing that exercise is, is good from inflammation. And then as, I suppose as part of that, it's important to say that we've kind of talked just now about aerobic exercise predominantly, but resistant exercise programs are really important as we get older. Weight. Uh, yeah, weight strengthening, muscle strengthening exercises. Muscle strengthening exercises which incorporate balance because as we get older, our, our balance declines. And if you want to check your balance now, you should be able to stand for 30 seconds on each foot, eyes open, and 10 seconds, eyes closed. And it's quite a challenge. But if you can't do that, it means you're over-reliant on vision and the sensors in, in, in joints rather than your balance center and, and more inclined, therefore, to have falls as, as, as one gets older. So, so muscle strengthening and balance exercises are particularly important, but we don't do them. Um, you know, when you say we don't do them, what do you mean by that? You mean you don't see many old people? Even in the or? States, only 8% of people over 65 do, do uh, resistant exercise programs. I mean, that's the statistic. So, 
we're, we're not we're not good at employing resistance exercise programs um, generally speaking so it's hard they're hard to do on your own i mean going for a brisk walk is easy yeah. Um, yeah. Doing muscle strengthening is more more difficult, and actually, I'm 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 working with um, with a trainer that I use um, to develop a free app for for older persons that they can use at home for muscle strengthening exercise programs. It's interesting that on the internet you often see kind of uh, weightlifting programs and so on for people up to about the age of 50. I've never seen one for the over 80s, or you know, it's it's kind of it's as if everybody gives up around that maybe it's a kind and, of a and it's absolutely when we should be doing the reverse because we lose muscle mass year on year actually over the age of 40 um, and in order to enhance muscle mass aerobic exercise programs are insufficient we have to do muscle strength building exercise programs um, and osteoporosis, well. osteoporosis is important and um, now the aerobic exercises will will help uh, with, with that, with that, with osteoporosis, osteoporosis is incredibly common. Um, age and female sex are the biggest risk factors, but one in seven people with osteoporosis are men. It's it means bone weakness. Um, after the age of 50, we should have DEXA scans every five years to to look for it. It's so it's so common, and if it's picked up early enough, it can be prevented from declining and becoming you know very weak bones. And it can actually be turned around and bone can go from a pre-osteoporosis state to a normal state if, inter if an intervention happens on time. So interesting, actually, what you say about DEXA scans. I mean, because we've talked a lot about the blue zones and uh, kind of a simpler life. But uh, are you a fan of, of, of kind of getting tested regularly by, by a doctor getting a checkup or do you oh, think? Absolutely. Because the big things we know about which definitely make an impact on lifespan are treating of midlife hypertension, for example. And in Tilda, we showed that nearly 50% of men aged between 50 and 60 who had hypertension, high blood pressure, weren't aware that they had it. And even those who knew they had it, over half of those weren't on sufficient treatment to bring blood pressure down. So definitely uh, dealing with blood pressure after the age of 40, definitely checking your glucose status after the age of 50, um, because um, type 2 diabetes becomes becomes more common, and cholesterol. They're, they're the big ones that are so easy to do something about that we that are silent until we get a problem from and that we should be checking. And electrocardiogram is the other, an ECG um, for heart rate and rhythm to make sure there are no issues there. Okay, well, let's uh, let's just, as a uh, at the end of the, the, the last podcast, we talked about laughter as being a really easy, easy kind of thing you can do for yourself that's, that's really important, either laughing with friends or, or just even putting on your favorite comedy show. And I think we'll end with a, a really easy thing you can do for yourself which is to to immerse yourself in cold water. Can, can you tell us, Roseanne, why it's good and, and how one might do that as a kind of a, a like a quick a quick thing one can do? Absolutely. So cold water actually stimulates a a a process in the body called hormesis. And we know from cell studies and from animal studies that hormesis is like a shock to the system, a shock to cells. But by by delivering that shock, you trigger a number of positive biological processes within the cell. Just by delivering the shock within one 
of the systems in in the in the cell. And and the chemicals that are released are noradrenaline, which is part of the fight or flight. That rises fourfold on cold water exposure and it boosts performance of cells both in the brain and the body. And also is important for regulating um, a host of functions such as heart rate, blood pressure, blood flow to the muscles, um, even concentration um, and contraction of skeletal muscles. Um, so it, it, now people are often say, I couldn't dream, I couldn't do a cold water shower, but it isn't, um, it really isn't that um, challenging. First of all, ablutions with hot water, your normal practice in the morning, and then for only a few seconds, we, we, there's no evidence for how long you require to be immersed, only for a few seconds. It's sufficient to kind of boost this fight or flight um, response from noradrenaline. So if you want to live longer, it's as simple as turning the shower down to cold for 10 seconds in the morning and you're, you're already taking a step. Um, let, let's just just sum up, kind of summarize some of the things that, that we've learned from from your research. Uh, plant based diet. Um, make sure you sleep well, uh, sleep in the dark, sleep with uh, white noise if you if you're not sleeping well. Um, have friendships. Keep having sex, do exercise, both uh, aerobic and uh, uh, the other one I can never remember, but, but lift weights and, and get your heart beating, basically. Have a sense of purpose. And if you don't have a sense of purpose, find one by volunteering and mind yourself when you retire. Um, what, 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 have I left anything else? Is that the, the basic? The no, basic that's, that, that's it. And if I was asked, well, what's the one thing I can do today? I'd say ensure that you have a couple of extra laughs. You heard it here, folks. Professor Roseanne Kenny, thank you very mm -hmm. much indeed for, for joining us again. Thank you. Thank you.